This is the Dirty Mike, and we're going to be talking today with Wyatt and Justin. A little disclaimer, if you have sensitive ears, there might be some cursing and other things, so just go ahead and either change the channel now or move past it. We were talking earlier, but uh, when we were talking, we were talking about uh, just basically being overseas and, and, and moving frequently. And uh, we were talking about how uh, having moved often and then continuing to move, you know, mm -hmm. working with the military, um, has it forced you to live like a more simplistic life? Yes. On terms of, well, the biggest thing I'd say is the weight limit when it comes to PCI sync would be the biggest thing. But money, you know, especially if you're new to the military, you don't live out in town, so you have a small room. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, first coming into the military, this being my first duty station, PCSing from school was just my limited amount of clothing, clothing even though I still had two big-ass suitcases full of all my stuff. Bringing it overseas, I felt like that was too much. But now that I'm getting close to PCSing to my next command, mm -hmm. and I've moved out of the barracks and set up a life elsewhere, like in my own house, you know, I got a car and everything now, and I got a lot more stuff that I got to consider taking with me and consider sending it where, keeping what, selling what, trashing what. So I think it just taught me to learn to be more of a bit of a minimalist, you know, not hoarder as much stuff as I was doing before. You know, just learned like, oh, I really don't need this. Oh, I'm never going to see this again. Because yeah. as before, I was looking at something like, oh, I, I could use this later. Yeah, I throw it away into a drawer. Yep. It's easy to hoarder when you're not moving. And then when you're moving and you're like, I haven't seen this in three years. Why, why did I keep this? Yeah. I, uh, I also, like, when I joined, I, uh, years and years ago, but, like, I sold everything. Yes. Like, the raccoon was just like, you're going to be living out of a sea bag. Like, good luck. <laughs> you know? So I, like, sold my bike. I sold my car. Gonna be a real solid. Yeah. Like the promise of co ed showers and having a good time. You know, was not what I what I thought it was gonna be. I did I did the total opposite. I kept everything. Really? I asked my mom to keep everything. I tucked them away in boxes. Then I went home after a year, went home on leave and I was like, Why do you still have all this? Oh, you said to keep it. Tried putting it on. No. I gained like thirty pounds. <laughs> Man. Yeah. My thing was I, I I bought a car when I was seventeen. Before I even planned it in the military. I mean, I had thoughts of it. I was like, oh, I'm just buy this car and I'm going to keep it forever. And then I get here overseas and I'm like, this car is great. I love this car. And I know I'm going to regret selling it. But I'm never going to be able to use it because I'm overseas for the next three years. And who knows where else after that. I'm not going to be able to take this car where I go. So I just kind of had to sell that. Just kind of those things that you keep. And then you just kind of make the decision to sell. You know, regret it? Oh, I regret it. Tremendously. I love that car. What was it? This is a 2019 WRX. I put it in. <laughs> a big Subaru guy. I put a good chunk of money into that car. Okay. But now I got this one. And now this one, I'm like, nah, I'm not going to regret selling this one. I'm going to take this with me. Yeah, and that's sure. just that. There's a huge market for, for J-Spec cars now. Yeah. It's like, it's ridiculous. I mean, it was big back in the day, but. Yeah. It's just going up. I say back in the day, but like. Yeah, when you were a kid, right? Yeah. I mean, we weren't born yet. <laughs> I mean, being in the military, though, having this car, taking the opportunity to buy an actual JDM car in Japan and taking it with me wherever I go at no cost to me, just, just due to the PCS. I mean, I'm going to yeah. take advantage of that. That's the great thing about the military when it comes to cars. Bouncing back to that simplistic life, I don't, I don't know how simple. How <laughs> simplistic having a car is and taking that with me anywhere is. I will. I will say the higher the uh, the higher you rank, the less that comes into play. The simplicity of it, because you have more money, you get a house, you get a car, you get more responsibilities. Yeah. I mean, he could make it pretty simple though, like just a car and a seat, <laughs> like one bag, hundred percent. I mean, I had the opportunity to take all my furniture and everything with me, you know. E5 going into a new house in a new country, but uh, that really won't happen in my circumstances now. I got to go right back to the barracks. And for a time. Yeah, for the time being. But I mean, with all my furniture and stuff in my house when I leave here, I'm just sell it all. Just go back to that simple life, you know. I would definitely reach out. I'm not sure uh, if where you're going is able to, like, because 
it's America. There's not like a, a rank requirement for right. for being able to live on or off base. Right. And I mean, I I, I talked to my sponsor who is over there, and he, he said, "No, nah, E four and below, you're in the barracks. E five and up is out town. Kind of the same as here. Looks like you're living with me, mate. Yeah, pretty much, bro." <laughs> So speaking of back in the day, like for me, COVID was just years ago and years ago. Right. But it was just like a small drip in the pond of all the, the, the craziness of, you know, doing decades of <laughs> yes. Yeah. So where were you when, when COVID happened? Uh, I think in the beginning, you and I were pretty much the same, right? Yeah. yeah. Graduated high school. We were in the process of getting through our final months of high school. Yep. And and with COVID hitting, you know, we missed so many things that a senior in high school would want to enjoy. You know, prom and actual real graduation. Yep. Missed prom. Didn't have a real graduation, you know. And I thought that was going to be the end of it, honestly, with COVID. I was like, okay, I can miss this. No big deal. Mm -hmm. But after joining the military right after um, high school, I realized COVID was actually a big problem, you know, especially when it comes to the celebrations of big events. Yeah. For example, graduating boot camp. Um, everybody knows if you've seen videos or you know anything about the military when it comes to graduating, mm-hmm. you line up with your division. And it's kind of a big deal. Your family's there, all that. And at the end, what do they say at the end? I mean, it didn't happen for us, but for uh, everybody else. They say now you can part. Now you can take leave, take your leave, and then you turn around and see your family. Well, yes, I don't know. I didn't go through the real graduation, so I wouldn't know. Whatever the process was, but COVID, it wasn't. They just had a drone, the camera pointed at us, and we just marched right past. They had a drone. Yeah, yeah. They did drone going above us, and then they had like a couple cameramen on each side. You know how you march in boot camp in that formation? You know, short to tall guys. <laughs> yeah, the high line. And, and we'd march by, and they'd record us. And our blues or whatever uniform was that season for us, it was the blues when we graduated. We marched right by, right back to the ship, right back to our normal boot camp duties or whatever, or whatever we had to do after we graduated. It was like, wasn't even a real graduation. Oh, here's your chance to actually wear your blues for the first time. Yep. Not doing about yourself and your military career. The graduation picture. Uh, what was your graduation picture? What were you wearing? Dress blues. Dress blues, like yeah. most people, right? Depending mm-hmm. on what the season is. Yeah. Nope. NW, uh, and a type threes. Yep. Mine was in my type threes with my scrunched eight point flat cover. Cause you know, I don't know how to shape an eight. Nope. Then I was no patches looking like a <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And then, uh, after boot camp, you know, it was just another di- disappointment. I'd say, like, okay, graduation. Don't get to see my family. Whatever. It is COVID. COVID's still going on. We get out of boot camp. Yep. And you're going to a whole new place. We went to under, Texas. Texas after that for our A school which was law enforcement and anti-terrorism. Yeah, I all that. Yeah. And being the first ones to go through the new C school, you know, we were the first nine classes. Yep. Oh, man. What class were you? I was the ninth class to go through. You were the 10th. Cause yeah. We were in the same A school class, but we went through the C school. Oh, I rose my hand. He, this guy comes out, he's like, I need three volunteers. I look back at the volunteers because I was what? I was the team leader. You're the class leader. Class leader. I looked back to see who's going to volunteer. I was like, yeah, he needs volunteers. I'm looking right at Thompson in his face. Don't raise your, <laughs> don't raise your hand. Cause you never volunteer for anything unless you know where you're volunteering. I mean, we, we made best friends there, you know, you know, we kind of made a pact to like, right, we're going through everything together now, bro. We got the same orders. We're going through everything together. And then there he is raising his hand. Raised his hand. Well, I didn't know what it was. He, he comes out. I need three volunteers. It was me, this other girl and this one other girl. I don't know who she, I can't remember her. And I raised my hand. We're like, all right, he's going to want us to, you know, go sweep or something, you know, whatever. Just gives us something to do. He's like, congratulations, you're going to C-School today. The rest of you wait two weeks. No. I'm like, oh, no. One girl, you know, she cried cried to the you know, A-School leader or whatever. Oh, my boyfriend's in that class. I can't be separated from him. Oh, my goodness. So they set him back and they gave it to somebody else. And then I, I just continued with it. I'm like, you know what, I'm here. I'm just going to roll with it. But Wyatt didn't jump on it? Hell no, because I knew what they were volunteering for. He didn't. I looked at him, I was shaking my head. Don't. <laughs> and he just looked me in my eyes and raised his hand. I was like, dude. Well, I didn't know what I thought I was going to be sweeping, man. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. When we graduated A school and we got our badges, 
there was, there it was another ceremony, you know, it's a big deal to get your badge. You know, um, we, back in the day, in your day, when you were a kid, <laughs> yeah, shit, uh, I guess people were allowed to have their parents there for that or family members. I don't know. That's what I heard, but not us. It was the day of active shooter. Was that the last? Yeah, I think it was the, yeah, active shooter. Tactical team movements. Something like Whatever that. it was. Whatever it was. If you passed, everybody just lined up and they were like, pulled it out of a cardboard box, handed you your badge. Well, that's how it was for me. They were like, yep, there you go. Yeah, it was nothing, it was nothing special. Okay, that's cool. cool. But I mean, I heard about some other people's, you know, families, you know, there in, uh, what was it, Carter Hall? Yeah. You know, they'd had the big ceremony hall. And, and they walked across the stage. They didn't the announce it with their certificate. Congratulations to blah, blah, blah. Their parents Man, good would be there, their family yeah. would be there, but you know, us, our family couldn't even come on base. We weren't even allowed off base for how many months were we there? Uh, five, close to six months, I think. Six months. Yeah, six months. And yeah, it was. So you guys knew each other in boot camp? No. No, we were in the same ship, different divisions. He was actually in boot camp a couple of weeks before me, but uh, he had uh, some unfortunate events going through boot camp. Yeah, I got ring of fired. Do you want to explain what that is? Yeah, so the ring of fire. So if you're, you're in your rack, there's your rack, and the racks are set up in a line. And you're in your rack. So I'm on the bottom. I got my rack made on the top. Two racks to the left and to the right of me. And the top and bottom guys. I get COVID, you know, I'm dead center. All those five guys that are around me, to my left, to my right, and above me, even if they had no symptoms, they'd go into ROM with me. Even though I was the one with COVID, they had no symptoms. Yeah, but the the one with COVID. That sounds horrible. Yeah. <laughs> it was terrible. Anyway, the one with COVID was the lucky one. The ones. <laughs> Is it that bad? Yeah, go ahead. Anyway, the one that got COVID was actually the lucky one because they went to a place called Ship 9. And that was the sick shit, right? All the sick people went there and they basically got to do whatever they want. You know, there was no rule on whether or not they had to do anything to that, that day. They just got free food, and then they could do whatever they want, as long as they stayed in the birthing. And then they had outside time. Yeah. So when I graduated uh, boot camp and I realized, like, what was actually going on over there, I was like, why didn't I get COVID? Because this place was like, it was awesome. It was like a little break from boot camp, from what I understand from what people told me. So they, they didn't have to wake up. They could wake up whenever they wanted. They could lay in their racks all day. They were playing games. They were playing tag because the people who were in charge of them, they didn't want to go near them. They didn't want to go near them. They, weren't, right, they didn't right. want to go inside. But the guys that got caught in the ring of fire that weren't really sick, but they could have possibly been sick because they were around the ones that got sick, went to a place called Midway. Oh, my God. I hated Midway because I was that guy. <laughs> so I went to- doesn't have COVID. But yep. Knows a guy with COVID. Yep. Didn't go to, uh, or I went to Midway. And this was immediately after my initial ROM. Because due to COVID, we had to do a ROM before going to boot camp. So they sent us to a hotel. Mm. The hotel, it was all right. It was all right. The food was disgusting. You guys, food was terrible. So we got put in the Crown Royal Plaza. So my first two weeks. So it was the original eight weeks of boot camp. But it was actually like the six weeks of boot camp and then two weeks ROM. So they gave you those two weeks. They gave you your study guide, like your recruit handbook and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And they give you some reading material. And, and you had to study and you had to learn all these things, you know, by the end of the week or whatever. And you know, I, I got stuck with this guy from Nigeria who barely spoke English. And I got put in a cot in the corner while he got the queen-size bed the whole entire two weeks. I'm just a freezing cot in the corner. <laughs> it was uncomfortable. And that, that ROM was terrible, like. No phone, no contact to the outside world. You're just stuck in a hotel room with some stranger you've never met yep. before. Hmm. You know, your very first roommate, and you're trapped with him for two weeks with no contact to anybody else. And that's how I got caught in the ring of fire. Because my roommate that I was with during the initial COVID, we got tested halfway through, seven days in. They were like, all right, give me your nose. We're shoving this freaking rod up there, and we're going to dig in your brain and stuff. That sucked. Yeah. It's like, all right, I doubt we have COVID. He's showing no symptoms. Day, day 12 passes by, and then day 13. And on day 13, because it was a total of 14 days, I was like, okay, we have one more day. No test results came back. We must be good. Yeah. End of the day, they come back. They look at me, and they look at him, and they say, pack your shit. You're going home. Or you're going uh, you're going to a different shit, right? No, you're going home. Sorry. And I was like, what? And I was like, 
they were like, pack it up, pack it up, let's go, let's go, hurry up. And they're rushing me, so I'm packing all my stuff, putting it in my sea bag, getting ready to go. I'm like, oh, snap, we must be leaving. Like, they're leaving us, they're taking us a day early. Nope, because they didn't say anything. The RDCs were assholes. You know how they are. Yeah. So I'm sitting there, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. They take the roommate out who actually has COVID. And um, at the time, I didn't know. So they take him. I'm waiting for like two hours, just sitting on his bed with all my stuff, like really, really nervous on what's going on. They come to me. They're like, all right, it's time to go. But I have I have not smelt outside or been outside for 13 days. And that doesn't sound like a long time, but when I tell you the air smelt sweet, yeah. when I walked outside, oh my God, I almost cried. I was like, wow, this is insane. Smelt good. Anyway, so I get in this van and they drive me over to this place called Midway. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you're going to be staying here for a while. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, can y'all explain this to me? So I'm lined up with a bunch of other people who got the ring of fired. And they're like, take your stuff and go to this rack. I had a specific number just like everybody else. And when I tell you this place was torture mentally, it was torture. So 14 more days, right? A total of 28 days, right? I was stuck in Rom without seeing the sun, except that one time where I left. Mm the hotel to go to this place called Midway. Uh, long story short, Midway was a place where they kept the possibly sick individuals and the cubicle size, I measured it with my feet and my feet aren't, aren't that big, but it was, I think, six feet by 12 feet with a rack and a metal chair. And that's how, that's, how, that's all the space you got. If you needed to use the bathroom, you could use the bathroom, but you had to ask to leave to go to the restroom. So I sat in there for 14 days. It was hell. After like the third or fourth day, I was like, dude, I need to go outside. I need to do something. Not only was it mentally strenuous, a lot of people said that it wasn't a big deal to them, but to me, it was really bad. Um, the food they were feeding us was terrible. It was a paper bag with just random food. And um, majority of the time for lunch, we had a soggy wrap. Like someone made this wrap five hours ago, wrapped it up in a saran wrap, and then put it in this bag. And when I opened it, it was slimy, and the wrap was falling apart, and I ate that for 14 days for lunch. It sucked. And then for dinner, they gave us MREs, which was like the highlight of everybody's day, because some MREs had candy, you know? could be like, oh shit, am I going to get Skittles? Am I going to get Snickers? What am I going to get? We didn't get a pick. The RDC would just walk by with the shopping car and just drop it off in front of our cubicle. You know, we were a bunch of animals. We just run for the MRE. But then it got to the point about halfway through where people started trading their candy for money, which I had no idea why they did this. What are you going to do with your money? Because um, the cubicles, they, the way they were set up was like a prison, prison cell. Each one, each cubicle had another cubicle in front of it. And it was just a row all the way down. And you just stayed in that cell cubicle is what they call it. I'm in synonym, it's a, it's a cell. So people were trading stuff. They were like, how much money you got? Oh, five bucks. Oh, make it 20 bucks for this bag of Skittles. And we got caught. They did. I didn't never, I never did that. I swear. I thought that was stupid. I want to eat my Skittles if I had them. Anyway, we got caught doing that. So about halfway through for the rest of my time there, they ended up having us open our MRE, dump it out, and take out all the sweets. Sucks, dude. Trash. Sitting on my knees, or st sitting on my knees, dumping out my MRE, and looking up at the RDC. Don't take that. Don't take that. Take, take, take. Just leave, like, the little bun, or whatever it was, the little mac and cheese. I'm like, damn it. And uh, a story I wanted to tell about this was about 3 a.m. I think I had three days left. It was 3 a.m. They turn on the lights, everybody's screaming, everybody get to the tow line. So we line up right at the edge of our cubicle and they're doing a muster. They're counting people. Mm -hmm. And I hear a helicopter going over and I see the police sirens outside. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Turns out somebody on watch had let four people leave. They jumped the fence and Midway is right next to a railroad track. So they're saying that they jumped on the train and rode the train into town, uh, wherever, whatever town was closest to, uh, the base at the time, whatever one that was. But yeah, they ended up catching three of them because they wanted to escape that place because it sucks so bad. Um, someone ended up drawing in the bathroom of Midway 
something about an RDC, like, fuck this guy. And he was an artist. When I tell you, I might have done some things to this fucking drawing because it looks so nice. <laughs> it was a naked woman. Okay. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> anyway, um, they found that. So our bathroom privilege is depleted. We had, it ended up being, it was a total of 10 stalls and 12 urinals or something, but only three people were allowed in at a time. So it was trash. We had to have a watch on the bathroom, and they counted how many people went in and how many people left. We said, yep, next, you can come. I, From what I've heard about prison, this place is probably worse than prison. But, so that was Midway. Um, what else? Yeah, so that's all I have on Midway. Yeah, yeah. you, but, you got pretty unfortunate through boot camp. I mean, I was pretty fortunate enough, you know, me... Oh, I was kind of back in a corner, you know, and then all of us in the corner, we just agreed. No matter how bad we felt, we were going to man it up and just power yep. through it. Yep. We're like, we're like, we don't care how bad you feel. We don't care how sick you are. Just man it up. Don't say nothing because none of us are going down. We are getting through this boot camp in six weeks. <laughs> we are getting through. And we all made it through perfectly fine because we all just kind of had that little pact ourselves. You know, other guys on the other side of the, the compartment we were in, you know, they were all getting Regan fired or... COVID and they were going down, but our corner, you know, we we're like, we're not going down. We're getting through this and we're getting the fuck out of here as soon as possible. You know, we want to add boot camp, but I mean, once we got a routine, not too bad. Yeah. But that, that midway, we just heard stories on stories, stories on stories. Like, Cause we had guys fucking hell, you know, they've been in boot camp for already a month long. And cause they got ring of fire, they got set back to our division, you know, mm -hmm. start off where you left off. They got sent back to our division, and you know they were just telling us stories, stories like what he was just saying, and that just it just not did not sound fun. So we were we were not having. Did you do you uh did you have any crazy stories about people getting their teeth pulled? Were you one of them? No, I didn't. We had this dude got his teeth pulled. You know his wisdom teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was sleeping in his rag, and his mouth was open with blood, just full of blood. Breathing out of his nose, but he would occasionally breathe out of his mouth, and we just see bubbles forming out of the blood, and it would leak down his face. This dude, I swear to God, I thought he was going to die. And I was too scared to say anything because the RDCs, we were standing at attention, and they were like, don't fucking move, don't fucking... I'm looking down at this dude, and he's just like... I'm like... This guy's coming back high right in front of me, dude. <laughs> oh, shit. Finally, we end up saying something to the RDCs, and then they get him out. But... The stories I've heard and the things I've seen about people getting their teeth pulled is you only get one day to recover. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Iraq. That's it. They don't give you any food to eat after that. You eat normal food. I was like, what? Yeah, you're getting your... I did. Those stories I didn't remember, you know, people getting their wisdom teeth pulled in boot camp was, you know, here, here's your one day, lay in bed for one day. After that, you're back to like nothing ever happened <laughs> before. And it was... Yep. I don't know if it happened when you guys went through. It was like that or they're a bit nicer or... Uh, I mean, I'd say it was about the same, but yeah, I've heard this. It's, it's, I had my wisdom teeth out before, before going. Yeah, see, I still have my Smart. wisdom teeth. Me too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The doc, the the dentist said, "We're gonna have to pull your wisdom teeth. Let me let me get an X-ray." And I was like, "Yeah, no. I paid money to a dentist to tell me that my wisdom teeth were fine the way they are." <laughs> yeah. So, if you went through COVID while you were. In boot camp, I'm assuming you went overseas and there was COVID. Yeah, yeah, COVID was still going on. Yeah, COVID was still on the pretty big peak. I mean, yeah, when, so you also went through COVID in the States. Yeah, so after boot camp, you know, we went through Texas. In high school, we weren't allowed to leave like we were saying. We couldn't leave. We were strictly to the compound. At first, I mean, it opened up to base wide then, but you couldn't go anywhere without your mask on. Or like nobody else was allowed in your room but you and your roommate. And you can only go to like the PX or subway, whatever they had there on the, on the base. But you could not leave base compared to, you know, after we left, we hear stories about people. A week you know, after we left. A week after we left. They open base and everybody's just saying. Harding, London, Texas, and going to the river walk or whatever it was walk called. Down there. It's like, yeah, yeah, they're, they're enjoying Texas. <laughs> you know. So I never got that. How was COVID when you get overseas? Overseas versus America. I mean, I'm talking more like prior service to like going overseas, like the civilian side of of COVID. Um, I'd say even today, two years later, 
two and a half, something like that. Almost three. No, it's three. It's three now? It's three. Uh, in Japan, they definitely are still worried about something. Yeah. A majority of them wear their masks, whether it's because they want to hide their face or because they're scared to get sick. But I've noticed that on the civilian side. But like when restrictions were high, mm-hmm. I'm assuming when you got here. Yeah, when, so when I, when I got overseas, I was the first one here before him, you know, because that whole C-School, me volunteering thing just put me ahead of him a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So I got here two weeks and I got stuck in uh, the barracks on the sixth floor in this room all by myself. And they'd bring us our three meals a day, but they'd set our meals on a chair outside. They'd knock on our oh, door. Yeah, they do do that. They, so we had to put a chair outside of our room. They'd knock on our door, say chow or whatever. We'd go outside. We had to grab our box and like the carton of milk or box of juice they gave us and they ride back into our room. Mm, they forgot lunch and dinner one day. But him, when he got here, they, they just kept forgetting about him. They kept forgetting about his group. I, I mean, like, with his group, there was only like three or four of them. With my group, I got here with a pretty big group, like six, seven people. And we, I thought I was stuck up there. I was loud. <laughs> we were all stuck up there. I mean, fortunate enough, they gave us Wi-Fi. We had our phones. Some guys were smart enough to bring their play consoles and a small yeah. computer screen or TV with them in their suitcase. Me not being a big gamer, I didn't worry about that. I was just a big movie guy, so on my iPad. But once all that ended, he gets here. And I know what it's like to go through that. And so he just kept, we were already friends from A school. So he, he told me or texted me. He said, like, hey, dude, they're not bringing me food. Like, what can you do? Like, can you bring me food? I'm like, yeah, dude, no problem. I got you. So I'd go to the commissary and I'd get groceries on groceries for this guy. So we had fridges in our, in our barracks rooms, our ROM rooms. Yeah, we were able to keep food in there. Yeah. And uh, I just huffing my way, walking to the barracks with 60 pounds of groceries on both arms, you know, probably like 30 pounds each arm. Maybe. Like a quarter mile from the commissary out of the barracks. And then the elevators, you couldn't use them because of COVID, you know. Oh, it's a confined space. You know, you're going to touch all the buttons and all that. You're going to hiking up the stairs. Yeah. Six floors. Huffing and puffing. He got to the door. He's like, here you go, bro. I'm like, this dude really just get me all this shit and walk that far? No way, dude. I think that's what solidified the brotherhood. 100%. Dude. 100%. Yeah. Because okay, I knew what it was like. I'm like, I'm not going to leave this guy hanging, you know? I would have said, ah, uh, no, nah, dude. I can't get it free, bro. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, but me going through it, and it's like, I was like, I'm not leaving this guy hanging. But I mean, the other guys, they didn't know me that were with him or checked in with him. They didn't know me, so I didn't get them anything. <laughs> but this guy just had the hookup. <laughs> so now that COVID's done a bit of a, that down downward curve or whatever they yeah. want to call it, and you're able to go out and experience the culture, uh, seeing COVID relax, have you been able to go out and have a good time? Yes. Oh, absolutely. COVID lifted. And we, I was here for a good, I don't know, four or five months while COVID was here and we were stuck on base only. Hmm. I was stuck on base for a good four or five months, however long it was. And I created a good friend group of guys who have been here pre-COVID, so they knew what it was like out in town. So I just kind of got in with them and they started showing me around once I got out in town. I mean, we were still, still weren't allowed to go to the bars or anything big like that, social places. Yeah, they did shut the bars down. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. So we weren't allowed to do that once they lifted the base restrictions. But I mean, just going out and meeting all the Japanese people and seeing how their mannerisms are out there, like it, it, it just gave me the biggest culture shock ever. I'm yeah. like, wow, this is not America. These people are polite, keep their head down, they mind their business, nobody's yelling at you. It, it's not dirty. Like, it, granted, there's no trash cans anywhere. <laughs> so you have trash you're carrying it until you get back to wherever yeah. you came from in the first place that's the craziest thing I've noticed yeah. no trash cans on the streets yet the streets are so clean yeah how and and yeah dude it's, 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 it amazed me I, when I first got here I just started carrying trash with me you know I had to eat or you know I, I was experiencing the 7-Elevens yeah the small Japanese convenience stores all the things you know, all look at all these yeah. different types of food but then I get done with them what do I do with the trash I'm not going to litter. For one, I'm not like that. For two, this ain't America. But three, where's the trash can? Have you uh, figured out where the trash cans are? Uh, we found some, yeah. yeah I saw them here and there. I mean, next to the vending machines, I guess. I've noticed. You know the convenience. You can bring your trash back in the company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I have noticed that too. But then you're trying to read the kanji. Yeah, you know, and then you go, the, the language barrier. You're like, shit. 
Thankfully, there's pictures. They're, they're pretty. Uh, they, they got pictures here, which is really nice. You know, if I was Japanese going to America, we don't have pictures like that. It's like fend for yourself. Hope just got black trash cans on the side. <laughs> Look for the piles of trash. Here, they just separate their trash, which is actually really nice. It's, it's it's neat. Still, don't fully understand how the trash system here works, but it it's effective, obviously. Yeah. Um, but working with a mask on. During summer. Oh, oh my gosh, that sucks. Yeah, I experienced that for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we were allowed to take our masks off. That changed the game. Oof. Out in the summer, you know, this is my first humid experience. I mean, where are you from? I'm from Colorado originally. So we're used to the cold winters or the dry summers. I mean, it gets hot in the summer there. Don't get me wrong, but it is not humid. This is a whole different animal out here. Um, I got hit with the humidity. And I was like, this sucks. You know, in the summertime, you know, we got our vests on. You're sweating. Your tan t-shirt becomes a dark brown in <laughs> the summertime. You got this mask on in the summertime and you just can't take it off. Standing gate, six to 12 hours, however long you were out there. And just felt like you couldn't breathe. And nope. Your face is just, you know, you get acne all up in here. You got this mask on. This soaking wet mask. <laughs> trying to breathe through. But then you have it pulled down just a little bit, you know, under your right below your nose, right below your lip. You know, just trying to catch some air for five, ten minutes. And you get this guy who's, you know, so freaked out about COVID. You know I mean? I was never too big on the COVID thing. I was like, ah, oh, whatever. It's in it. Was it like that in the States? Where I'm from? Yeah. It, my, Again, I didn't. I mean, my, I was overseas for those looks. Yes. It yeah, was. My community, you know, we had, we were all like, nah, fuck COVID. You know, it's fake. That's how it all started yeah. right there. Yeah, everyone said it was fake, it's stupid, yada, yada, yada. And, and I was one of them. But when I started realizing, if you don't wear a mask, you can't come in, I was like, what? Right. I mean, me being, you know, this like stuck up of the whole whatever it is, uh, I was like, nah, if you don't, if I have to wear a mask, I'm not coming into your store. I was that type of dude. I was like, you know what? My pops is like that. Yeah, I, I was like that for a while. And then like just joining the military changed my whole view on that. I was like, you know what? It's time just just to suck it up and deal with it because nothing's fucking changing. Mm. And then, you know, getting here, I just learned this part of their culture. I mean, they were wearing masks pre-COVID. Long, long before. Standard. I mean, now that we're past COVID for the most part, everybody still wears a mask out in town. It's pretty rare to see a Japanese national out here without a mask. And It's been, I mean, it's been like that for... A very long time. Yeah, like, yeah. it's a generational thing. I've, well, I've done a lot of time in Japan, and they're always wearing masks when they go out in public. Yeah, so, why? Um, so it's still considered dirty if you're inside or in an airplane. Like, even in places where they don't wear masks in Japan, when you get on public transit, they always put on a mask to keep from breathing. I've noticed that. I've noticed that. I mean, I've traveled back and forth to the States three separate times since I've been here. I mean, more times than I wanted to. <laughs> but every time, you know, I'm going to the States, whatever, don't wear a mask. But I hop on that plane from LA, San Francisco, wherever it is I'm flying out from, to Tokyo, they make you wear the mask. Because it's like, oh, you're not bringing that shit to my country. So thing. Yep. They see American and instant eye contact. Hey, yeah. put your mask on. But you hop on one of those planes, you know, there's a lot of Japanese people on those planes. You know, they're coming back from their tours or whatever their reason may be, going back to Japan. They all got masks on. But you see all the Americans on there, and they don't have any masks on. So they're handing masks out to all the Americans. So. It's uh, it's different flying with the specific airlines, too. Because, mm -hmm. like, I always fly Japanese airlines, regardless of where I am in the world. What? Because they're just so polite and yeah, so yeah. kind. Yeah. Having been overseas for 15-plus years, yeah. and then going back to the States... It's just, it's so drastic. I would imagine worse for you or more extreme for you than it is for me. But this last time I went home on leave really messed me up a little bit due to the fact that America is just so different from Japan. In what way? When you watch a movie, let's say this, you don't really recognize all the trash on the ground, the way people treat each other and that kind of aspect of it. But in Japan, you really notice, like, there's no trash. People are nicer. Whether they think poorly of you or not, they are still respectful. But in the States, when, the moment I landed in the States uh, at the airport, trash all over the ground, spilt drinks, 
empty cups. I was like, what? And I was in line when uh, I was walking over to my next flight, just looking at all this and like being baffled by it. Like, how is America like this? But we're supposed to be the best country in the world. Like, it doesn't make a little that much sense. I'm walking and I'm looking at the flights on the screen to try and figure out where my flight is, right? Mm-hmm. And I was next to this line and this woman walks up to me and she says, hey, hey. And I look around and I was like, yeah. She's like, are you in line? And I was like, I look over and I see there's a giant gap between me and that person at the end. And I was like, no. And she was like, well, then move the fuck out the way. And I was like, what? And then she like drags her kids and she's overweight. So she's wobbling over to the line. And I was like, oh my God. And in America, compared to Japan, everybody's overweight. Everybody. I, I'd say 90%. We'll say 90%. <laughs> it's, it scares me. Even walking on base, looking at the Americans in uniform, the obesity is stressful to watch. Hmm. Then you walk outside the gates and you're walking or driving and then you look at the people in Japan and you wonder where America's going wrong and if it is going to last that much longer. <laughs> I do. I wonder that personally. <laughs> so are you in California when this happens? Uh, yeah. No, I was in Hawaii. I landed in Hawaii when this happened. And I've noticed the, 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 the rudeness everywhere or the obesity everywhere. I mean, that's just anywhere, like, you know, from LA, Denver, other different airports that I have to stop through. But I mean, going back to the customer service or the politeness of people, you know, being here in Japan, even though you're in the wrong, they're still apologizing to you. You're like, oh, sorry, sorry. Go menasai. You know, like you're in the way and they're still apologizing for you being in the way. Compared to America, like, get the fuck out of the way. Hey, my bad. I'm sorry. Speaking of, like, customer service and how people treat you, uh, having been overseas for a while, seeing, like, new people or younger people when you're out and about, uh, walking in, younger? younger people, just in general. Westerners, okay, mm -hmm. going into uh, establishments, yes. like, expecting people to speak English. Yep. Have you ever noticed anything like that? I have, yeah. I mean, yeah, there, there's some places I go to, you know, there's like the older people, you know, I go into these restaurants. I like to, you know, go into different restaurants and try them out. And I go into these older, like, you know, I'm going to say hole in the wall. They're still nice, but they're like kind of like the smaller shops or whatever, you know, real authentic Japanese. And they're always the, old, the elder people that run them. No English whatsoever. You know, you go into more of a chain restaurant or, you know, something, for example, like Triple D Ramen or... You know, something more popular, pepper lunch, something more popular, something a little more bigger, mainstream, bigger. Yeah. You're walking in, there's younger people working in there and the English is a little bit better. I mean, there's still a language barrier, but there's still the younger people that speak English. What, what about like seeing other Westerners come in and just expecting them to yeah. speak English? Yeah. So I've noticed that and they get really frustrated. Most of them do. They try to speak English to them and then they're like, what? Like just baffled and confused, like, one, dude, you're in Japan. Like, what did you expect? Them to all speak English? Mm -hmm. And two, you don't, you don't have to be mean about it. One thing I've noticed by joining the military is you have to look at everybody from a different point of view, from their point of view, what they think, what they're going through in life, and you can't be an asshole to them. You know what I mean? Like I have seen from people going into restaurants expecting them to speak English. It's sad, it is, but you are you going to take anything from what you've experienced overseas back to you to the states? Oh, like, absolutely. how is that going to affect how you? Yeah, I mean, in the states, you know, I was the average American, negative about everything, you know, judging people by their book by their cover. And I was just judging people, negative, just angry at everybody. But just being over here, your way or no way, yeah, yeah. and then just being over here, learning how polite the people are. And like just meeting so many different kinds of people here, you know, I'm like, oh, like, okay, this guy is completely different from me. But I, I sat here and I talked to him, you know, I just realized, wow, this guy has so much more to offer than just what he looks like. You know, I've just learned not to judge a book by its cover or, or that being nice gets you a long way. Like the golden rule growing up, you know, you're taught treat others how you want to be treated. Whether, whether or not they're treating you poorly, that's how yeah, yeah, yeah. it should be finished. 
And I just realized that people, you know, they're nice to me and it just makes me want to be nice back. And I just realized if I take that back to the States with me, maybe, you know, that's a start to a change or something to, to all the rude people over there. I agree. People over here. But in Japan, helped a lot too. Because not only are you trying to change yourself in the military aspect, but when you're out in town, you don't get lashes from civilians. You don't get the rude comments or the snares or the, or the remarks or anything. You know, the road rage, I haven't seen anybody road rage out here. That's... Unless it's myself. Yeah, it's <laughs> myself. But I would say so. So I kind of feel like, you know, in any sort of service, you get kind of institutionalized to to the people you're around, or especially in the the military itself. Like, you just become this person after so many years. Mm-hmm. And... I would ask how, like, you think being in the military is going to affect getting out and going back to the States. I don't know your intentions. But, like, do you feel that the military, A, and then being overseas, B, how that, will it be difficult to transition back into the American culture? Yeah, and I'm worried about that. That's something I think about often. Yeah, I mean... For me, going back these these numerous times that I've been back, you know, just just the change. Even my family, you know, they seem like you've changed, and 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 I know it's for the better. I'm a whole different person because I mean, before we growing up, growing up through high school or whatever, we we had these groups. You know, you had the the jocks in high school, and then you had the ag kids. You know, they wouldn't talk to each other at all. And I was one of the ag kids, you know, and I just kind of learned that mindset of like, all right, these are my people. These are the people I'm going to stick with. And then the jocks, you know, they learned, the, okay, that's their people. I'm not going to mess with them. That was me. But then joining the military, I just learned there's so many different types of people out there. You know, I'm not going to have everybody that that's just like me or, you know. Yep. The military brings all kinds of people together. Diversity, man. Diversity. And I, and I like it a lot. And with these things I've learned, you know, I go back, you know, to the friends that I had before the military and all my civilian friends who are still there. They haven't changed a bit. They haven't changed a bit. Everybody's still the same, still hanging out with the same people. And and seeing that going back when I have I'm like, I just, I don't like that. I I don't think I could go back to that. I don't want that with my life. And that, that probably one of the reasons I've actually decided to, to continue my career in the Navy or, or stay away from there. And it's not that I want to stay away from there. I love my family. I love being there. But it's just the things that I've learned of how to treat people and how to be a better person. I just know going back might might affect that. Yep, I, I'm worried about the same thing. I feel like all the work I'm putting into myself and all the mistakes I've made were for a reason, and they have helped me, and I appreciate them no matter how bad they were. And I get a lot of lashback from what happened, but the consequences to my actions were worth it mm-hmm. because it showed me the kind of man I want to be. So talking about going back home you know like what if i do get out and i start hanging out with those people again all this work i just put myself through is that going to go away am i going to have the strength to not go hang out with the freaking pieheads again you know the the nobodies the low lives i don't know are you gonna i guess my original thought was like how do you think you'll be able to integrate back into the civilian world a normal civilian life but from what you're saying do you think you'd be able to affect like positive change i think i could if i went back and you know it, it, if the people are open-minded the way i've been taught but i don't know if they're going to be as open-minded as i am anymore because with the military opening my mind and opening my eyes i don't think they're going to be like that for me to help them change you know it like Wyatt here, he's the reason I've, I've kind of stayed in the military. He's been my influence to stay in the military. I was thinking about, you know, getting out, going back to civilian work, go back to doing what I was doing. But realizing that him and I, we push each other to be better every day. We push each other to, to stay open, stay positive. I just know if I separate myself from that, I could go back to the civilian world and just go back to that and probably not teach somebody or help somebody be better. I'd say from what I've realized with myself after joining is it was my way or no way. If I didn't like what you said or what you did, then I didn't really care Mm. about you or anything you'd say. And I would 
express how I felt verbally all the time. You know, I would joke people, I would say stupid things that I didn't really mean, just trying to be funny, thinking it was funny to them, but realizing it actually hurt their feelings. And this took me three years. So I don't know if I would have the influence to do that to people, to change them, to make them better. Hmm. I feel like going back, you know, going back to so much of that negative, I'd get trapped in that negative. And it, it just send me back to where I was. I want to be able to be like I am now anymore. It's kind of a deep topic to get into. We just want to keep yeah. going with it, but we are running out of time. But like, I'm by no means like, I keep saying like, I'm by no means a life counselor. Right. Mm -hmm. But a goal that I set for myself is just always to, is every day to affect positive change, like make a positive impact in someone's life every day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, they talk about five minute taskers. If it's something you can do in five minutes, do it. Just knock it out, right? Yeah. But then seeing someone, I mean, maybe it's the diversity of the military, maybe it's, I don't know if it'd be diversity, but living overseas and interacting with all these cultures. But if you see someone having just that look of something's wrong, going over and asking if everything's okay, how can you, is there anything you can do to help? Yeah. Or especially in my job, but, you know. Right, right. Working like, hey, can I help with this or that? Even when I'm done talking to someone, like, yeah, how can we make this better? So I, how? I picked up a book called Atomic Habits, and basically the gist of the book is, you know, these little small things in your day-to-day -day life can change yourself for the better or change the people around you for the better. It just takes those very small things, and that, that plays into a part of, you know, helping people. You know, what can I do to help you? Or like, okay, I learned this. Let me, let me teach this to you to help you become, you know, who you want to be or get to where you want to be or, you know, make your, make, even make your day just a little better. I have noticed that about you, though. I will be honest. And a lot of people have. They say that about you. You're always out looking out for people. Hmm. Yep. Uh, being honest. Yeah. I don't know why I never thought about telling you that sooner, but that is true. It's trying to make me emotional on my own show. <laughs> Serious. People do say that. Nobody ever talks bad about him. Nobody ever talks about Justin. Hmm. Right. Yeah. They don't. I've never heard anything. Hmm. I hear a lot of people talk a lot of shit in my job because that's all it is. It's like high school. I mean, they may, may have some negativity about what your position is, but you as a person, you don't define that position. You, you define yourself of how you act and, and it shows in the community that we're in. Hmm. And uh, thanks, man. I don't know if this is TMI for the show or anything, but when I went through my thing with you, yeah, there was no disrespect, anger towards you. It was nothing, you know? Even in the position you were with me, it was not, it was nothing negative and i appreciated that a lot about you when it came to talking to you about that in the standard that we had to be behind closed doors yeah. and then open doors you know i've kind of realized that myself too you know i can second that a couple of times i've talked to you as well about some other things you know i've just realized like okay your job is one thing but you were a whole different person yep interesting you've been working hard i said <laughs> <laughs> i really do appreciate that yeah Hmm. At the same time, like terrified going back to the states. Yeah, absolutely. Just absolutely terrified. But I mean, the way I look at like, going back to the states is just take what you learned and who you've become and roll with that. Don't change. You know, I and I tell myself this and tell anybody else this, whether they're my mentor or I'm their mentor, or whatever. I, I'm gonna tell them, you know, just take what you have and keep going with it. Don't change who you are, or what you've learned. Just because of the people around you. On that, I mean, the, the people around you are who shape who you are. You are. Who you you are, are who you associate with. Yeah, and it's sad. It's sad. And being able to have those tough decisions. I know one of the things I wanted to talk about, which we can do this again sometime. Mm -hmm. but like, I enjoy uh, this a lot. We, we definitely should. I mean, the... The military has a huge effect on like friendships, right? Yeah. And being able to like I did what? Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Friends, keeping friends, having friends. 
but having the i mean maybe maybe in different groups like you were saying the ag crew and the jock crew Mm -hmm. that's so long ago for me that i don't i don't even remember that right but I would say I would be more timid and then regardless of being a nice person or what I'd like to believe is a nice person, having the the balls to be able to be like, look, man, best of luck, but I just, I can't. Yeah. I cannot associate with you. Yeah. Because in the States, you get hit a lot harder than you do like overseas when it comes to your social standard. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's what gets most people in trouble. Yeah. And I've realized that, you know, just, having this guy why here behind my back the entire way through i've had him you know in a school here and now we, we're going to the next same place together i just like you just learn like this is the dude the only dude i care to have by my side like people are everybody else is going to come and go but like i just realized this, this is the true dude that i need by my side he pushes me to be better i push him to be better thanks bro yeah i mean it, it, it's just that whole friendship thing of i'm surrounding myself who pushes me to be better other than the people, you know, that are just there to be there. And that's what it comes down to. Figure out who's pushing you to be better, not worse. I love that it's on a positive note. Yep. We are out of time. Yes, sir. But like, I really do appreciate it. And I, I look forward to having you guys back and, and trying the skin and making it better. This was fun, yeah. I'm you know, be happy to sure. be back. And this is awesome. Anytime. It's a deep, some deep conversations. Yes. Well, that's the whole point. Like, seriously, like just this down, dirty, wrong, deep, the emotional side of it. Like there's too much. I mean, again, I have to, to cut it, but there's, there's, there's a lot of clickbait. There's a lot of emotional stuff. Social media in general is, is like built up to be this algorithm of getting you emotional, but like anger is such a strong emotion. So they, they just send it they all the time to to keep you coming back and getting out and, and like or people I'm, show who they want people to see them as not compared to who they really are right and I, I i i hope if to keep this going but to real people are going to want to talk about like something that they're not a don't have an experience with and i'm sure there's plenty of people who are considering whether or not to join the military mm. or government service or to go overseas and know kind of like what that's like or that there are other there are other people besides like what is shown to you on social media right and being able to just have an emotional conversation or a deep conversation about what's going on and how you feel about it and how you see the world now after being overseas being able to really open up with people who you never know you could open up with right and i hope that that's something that people want to listen to but we'll see where it goes. Definitely. But thank you guys so much for coming on, and I hope to thank you. Well, I'm having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Just want to call it here.